Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where I talk about transportation as I am the transportation reporter and the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. Today on the show, we're going back to school. Not driving back to school, but driving school, that is. It's National Teen Driving Safety Awareness Week. So I've invited driving instructor and former police officer Jeff Westover to be here on the show today. Jeff owns a couple of 911 driving schools in Washington State. 911 driving schools are in several states, including here in Colorado. I have a ton of interesting things to ask Jeff about. Looking forward to the conversation. He uh, used to be a police officer, crash investigator, uh, trainer. He obviously uh, does driver's education training, and he's an instructor. He, he's done collision school, so he's really well-versed in all kinds of driving, uh, and not just as a driving instructor, but also as a police officer, so he sees it from those two different points of view. So it'll be really interesting to talk to him and see uh, what uh, they're tre- teaching now in driving school and and see if we can learn some stuff as uh, adults and um, what some rules of the road. I, I want to ask him about a couple of things, about a Pittsburgh left, and I want to ask him about um, uh, maybe left lane turns and some other interesting things just besides uh, all the uh, driving instructor stuff. Anyway, I, I was reading uh, the Denver Post the other day, and I came across this article, and it was a Dear Amy, like a, I guess it's like Dear Abby where you ask a question, it's kind of like my driving you crazy, where people will ask a question and you find out the answer and uh, and you go from there. Well, there's this, uh, this one caught my eye and it, or my, yeah, and it, and it's uh, called, it says, Dear Amy, my husband and I have been married for over 30 years. We hardly ever fight, except for when he's driving. I have a fear of riding in a car with him on a busy highway whenever we travel together for very long. I am usually such a wreck, I want to cry. Is it too much to ask that he just ease up a little bit? What does it hurt to only go 10 miles over the speed limit instead of his customary 15 miles an hour over? All I ask is that he widen the gap a little between us and the car in front of us. Right now, he's pouting and going 10 miles below the speed limit in the right-hand lane and not speaking to me. Honestly, it's the first time traveling that I can feel calm. Am I being unreasonable? All right, so Ask Amy answered, and this was signed, Anxious Wife. So this is the answer that Ask Amy, the column, gave to Anxious Wife. Dear Anxious Wife, your husband should appreciate the fact that you value your life, his life, and the lives of other drivers and passengers. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration notes that there are about 1.7 million rear-end collisions on U.S. roadways each year. About 1,700 people die in those collisions, and another 500,000 are hurt. A very helpful article, Ask Amy Reads, is on Edmunds.com, the car rating site. It breaks down how dangerous tailgating is. A vehicle traveling at 60 miles an hour covers 88 feet per second, but stopping that vehicle takes over four and a half seconds and covers a distance of 271 feet. Why? Because there's more involved in braking than actual time your brakes are applied to the wheels, called effective braking. In particular, perception time and reaction time at considerable distance to stopping your car. When you combine perception and reaction time, a full 132 feet will pass before your car even begins to slow down from 60 miles an hour. So, from the time you perceive a braking situation until the time your car comes to a complete stop, 
a total of 4.6 seconds elapses. During that time, your car travels. It bears repeating a total of more than 270 feet. That's almost the length of a football field. Of course, the faster you go, the more time and distance it takes to stop. Wet or icy road conditions will add exponentially to the risk of tailgating. In addition to the danger to you, tailgating is annoying and unnerving to the vehicle in front of you. She should have said to the driver in front of you, the vehicle is inanimate. It's rude, aggressive, and dangerous. All right, that was the answer from Ask Amy. Ask Amy really never covered anxious a a wife's concern. She's a nervous passenger. That's something that comes from her husband's driving. And her perception in her opinion, is that he is driving too fast. Now, I I tend to drive above the speed limit on the interstate. I I believe I'm driving safely, as does this woman's husband, I'm sure. And if you ask him, I would think he would say that he is driving safely, he's driving in control, and that he knows what he's doing, and that she just needs to calm down a bit. (laughs) I, I don't think he has any intention of hurting his wife or himself and crashing his vehicle. I don't think anybody has that intention of hurting themselves or somebody else. They, they just drive inattentively. But when you're driving this fast, I think he is probably more aware of what he's doing and more aware of what's going on. But a- accidents happen and, and stuff happens and, and uh, unintended consequences happen like debris in the road or somebody doing something up ahead that, that he can't predict. But he, like most men, just wants to get from point A to point B in the most efficient and quick way. He, he also probably knows that there are fewer police patrolling the roads right now because of COVID, and he can probably get away with going that fast. I've seen a lot more speeding drivers, reckless drivers, bad driving behavior overall, because there are fewer officers patrolling right now because of COVID. And I I do think people who are regularly on the road are taking advantage of that. But what this man is also not doing is being good with compromise. Isn't that part of being in a relationship, especially a marriage, for over 30 years? His wife, like my wife, gets uncomfortable at high speeds, especially when the highway gets a bit crowded And they're sitting in a seat where they do not have direct control over what is happening. It's like being in the airplane when it gets a little bumpy. If you're a pilot, it's okay. You know what's going on. You can grab the stick. You can feel more in control. You know when it's going to be over. You're looking at all the instruments when you're in an airplane. But if you're in the back... You get nervous. My wife gets extremely nervous whenever there's turbulence on an airplane. She hates it. Can't stand it. So I can understand the unnerving feeling that this woman is experiencing as she's sitting in the passenger seat, watching in front of her, just a few feet in front of her, the world passing by her at 85 miles an hour. And that is unnerving to a lot of people, especially when they don't have that control. And I'm not saying that she's a controller, a control freak, but you just feel better when you're going a little slower and, and that you feel that your person or your, your husband, your, the person who's driving, is, is in control of, of the car. 
I think this is the reason women live longer than men generally. They're more risk adverse. Men tend to take more chances. Mostly young men, of course, but older men do too. And she said they have been married for over 30 years. So he is probably in his 60s. He's thinking, I'm seasoned. I'm well aware of my surroundings. I've driven on this highway many times. I have close to 50 years of driving experience. I know what I'm doing. And I don't like it when my wife tells me to slow down and slow my roll because it makes him probably feel emasculated. He wants to feel like a man in front of his wife. And this is how he's showing it. Men are weird in this way. They, they show their partner how they, they, they love them by, by doing things for them. Not always saying, I love you or give you flowers, that sort of thing, but just doing things. Uh, taking care of them. That, that's that's that, that's just a man thing. But what, what what's the what's the solution to this issue? She said she would prefer that he slows down. That she would feel better if he if he even just slowed down a little bit. So, so 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 just slow down a little bit. It's not that hard. She didn't say go ten under and pout. She said go five or ten over. Don't go 15 or 20 over. Just pull it back a little bit. She's willing to compromise. She understands that she wants you, that you, that you want to go a little bit faster, but she would like you to go a little bit slower than than how fast you want to go. It seems a simple way to me to keep the harmony in a relationship. I mean, if he wants to go that fast when he's alone, fine. Fine. I I drive differently when I have my wife in the car. I definitely drive differently when I have my kids in the car because I I I, I just surround I want to surround them uh, with my own protection bubble if I can. Not not that I don't value my own life, I do, but I'm substantially more careful with my kids in in my hands than when it's just me. I I don't want to be the reason that they get hurt or my wife gets hurt. If I hurt myself, it's it, it, fine. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm just a dummy. But but I would feel so much worse than a broken leg if I was responsible for hurting somebody else, whether it was my wife or my kids and or or, or anybody that that I might hit or 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 whatever on the roadways. I mean, it's uh, driving a car. It's a pretty big responsibility. It's a dangerous item to be in. It, it is. It is really remarkable how people don't understand what kind of a responsibility driving is. It it really it, it really is, and it's one of the the most dangerous things we will do on any given day. It, and and especially for for kids. I mean, just imagine how kids are are learning to drive. And speaking about kids and driving, we right now are in the middle of National Teen Driver Safety Week. But it isn't just teens who I think would benefit from a little driving school. I think there are many adult drivers who would be helped by a refresher course of the rules of the road. So joining me to talk about the rules of the road and that many of us probably have forgotten over time is Jeff Westover. And Jeff is the owner of several 911 driving schools in Washington State. Jeff is also a retired officer serving 18 years. Jeff, thanks for being here on the World Famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, so Jeff, before we talk about driving and some of these issues that people have on the road, 
Let's find out more about Jeff. What were your primary duties as a uh, officer? Did you do traffic investigations? What What did you do uh, to uh, to lead you to this? I did many uh, many a different hats in the in the police department, but a majority of that was I was a motorcycle officer, which is which you're considered a traffic officer at that point. And I also went through collision investigation schools, so I was uh, also involved in uh, unfortunately being called out for fatality collisions, and and so I'm very versed in um, traffic safety, um, obviously through enforcement and on the education side. So you're obviously well-versed in all these different crashes and how they happen and reconstruct them because that is uh, art in itself. It is. It, it's, uh, you know, when you're in high school learning about tangents and cotangents and cosines or in tangents and cosines, you think you'll never use that again in your life. And then uh, <laughs> you wake up 10 years later and you're using it in your job as a police officer. So, yeah, it's uh, very, very technical. Well, I still tell that to my daughter who's going through algebra right now. And I say, look, you're never going to use this really ever again. So don't just, <laughs> but then she's going to have a job that, of course, like yours, <laughs> that needed yep. it. So uh, how often did you you see when you were out there patrolling how often did you see a driver doing something not quite right but just let it go anyway um well that's usually daily um you just you know you can't uh you, you can't catch everybody and and you know you you, you basically uh you focus on you know safety issues and and uh, uh what your your task is to do at hand for that day may it be speeding or people running red lights or or uh distracted driving or seatbelt usage uh as you know back in the 90s uh, we hit uh, seat belts very hard uh as far as enforcement to get to the level that we're at today in the country and and some states are far better than others but we still have a lot of work to do with that I had a ride along one time with an officer of one of the uh, local cities around here who said he only wanted to catch people doing something bad enough that would require a trip to jail. Is is that that can't be the sentiment of of every officer? Is, is it just no. a few? Is it just one? Or, or I mean, how often does is that? No, and, and you know, there's there's the, the it, a lot of times it comes up when you pull somebody over that 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 are a little angry and why aren't you catching burglars and and you know uh, robbers and rapists and and there's you know specific duties in the police department for detectives and other proact teams to to go after that. Traffic officers actually. Um, people, they don't like them because obviously they get pulled over and sometimes they get tickets. So, uh, but could you imagine if we didn't have traffic laws or, or we had them, but they weren't enforced, what kind of chaos and, and how, you know, it would be so unsafe on the road. So, uh, really there is a job for a traffic officer to do, and that's to make sure that, that people stay in line and stay in check because, because as you know, we've all seen it, uh, people, if, if there's not enforcement taking place, uh, the people will take advantage of that. Unfortunately, some, some will. And, uh, and it becomes very unsafe on the roadways when that happens. I know. I think I saw a lot of people during the start of the shutdown back in late March, early April, and throughout April and May, really, where people were just starting to speed a lot. They didn't see a lot of officers out and about, at least patrolling, because it was a different kind of world at that point. And I think people were taking advantage of it, just like you said. If they don't see, if drivers don't see enforcement, then they're going to take full advantage of whatever they want on the roadways. 
Absolutely. Luckily, it's not the majority, but uh, but it only takes one bad driver, you know, for a situation to involve a lot of other people. And, and then it can be drastic, you know, of what happens. But you're, you're right. 2020 is going to be a whole different ballgame when we get the stats. And, and as you know, most statistics don't come out till a, a good year later. Um, and I stay on top of all that. But but we are seeing um, reports uh, early quarter for 2020 where Yes, the traffic um, crashes are down in numbers, but miles driven, they are extremely high. And that's due to uh, uh, the, the shutdown and, and exactly what you said, that pe the people that were out didn't see a lot of uh, police officers out or, uh, you know, just took advantage, not a lot of cars on the road. So they took advantage uh, to speed and do a lot of other things. Street racing is, is up right now, too. That's another uh, a challenge for law enforcement is to curb that because uh, they've seen a, a big spike in that this summer uh, with with in, in like I said 2020 is a whole different animal you know we you can't really use the, the comparisons for previous years to 2020 just because we're in a situation that we've never been in before yeah, it's been really strange. I'm speaking with Jeff Westover. He's a driving instructor. Uh, he is a, a former police officer, owner of several 911 driving schools there in Washington State. And we're talking about teen driving and uh, driving schools and other driving issues. What were some of the most egregious driving behaviors you have seen as an officer or even as an instructor? Well, I mean, there's many a thing. Speeding is always, you know, speed kills. Speed is still in the top, uh, you know, five categories of, of fatalities uh, because speed does kill. And, and it may be for various reasons. You know, people are late. Uh, they're late to work. They're late for a meeting. They're late for wherever. Or it's just um, intentional speeding where they're just driving recklessly, uh, willful and wanton disregard for public safety. And, you know, when somebody's on a 35 mile an hour city road doing 90 miles an hour, the, the, the crash that generally happens after that is somebody is going to, to, to die. And, and there, there's actually a fatality by speed chart. And uh, when you look at it, it, it's very alarming when, when people get into the speeds above 60 miles an hour uh, as far as what the fatality rate is. And uh, for somebody to be driving down a city road at 90 miles an hour, triple digits that, that some of the officers are now seeing, um, that's very, that's just, it, they're putting everybody in, in harm's way. I, you know, I look at a, a gun and I look at a vehicle the same way. I, I treat them both with respect. I've seen them both. Um, take lives. And, and that's a, what, um, you know, when I say that, most people kind of get a weird look on their face, like, okay, he's kind of weird. He looks at a gun and a car the same way. But unfortunately, in this country, cars kill more people than guns do. And, that, and that's just, that's the fact. Uh, there's approximately 36,000, 37,000 people that die in car crashes every year. Uh, and uh, we, we need to look at cars, um, you know, with, with a lot more respect than we do. Unfortunately, people will jump in their car like they're jumping on their couch, and uh, uh, that's just not the right attitude. And I don't think people understand how pliable metal is at those speeds and how fragile your body really is because you're surrounded by what you think is this impenetrable bubble, and you're going really, really fast, even at 65 miles an hour on a, on, a, on a highway that might be a 65 mile an hour speed limit highway, you're, you're still going very fast. I don't think people are realizing your body is traveling at that speed. And if it comes to a sudden stop, that's not good for you. 
we're, we're not designed for it. In fact, uh, it's funny you mentioned that in, in collision investigation, we don't talk about miles per hour. We talk about feet per second. Now we translate that for court purposes, because if you say the vehicle is traveling at 88 feet per second, you know, people in the, the jurors are going to look at you like, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, 88 feet per second is 60 miles an hour. Then they go, okay, I understand what that is. But that's my point is people don't understand. Just like you said, their body is traveling at 88 feet per second at 60 miles an hour. And we are really not designed uh, to take the kind of G-forces that happen in a crash, uh, just like you said. Now, you know, a lot of people look at cars and go, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to buy that car when they see it after a crash because they see it just destroyed. And, and in collision investigation, uh, we kind of start from the inside and work our way out. We look at the vehicle occupation space and make sure it held its, you know, it held up its uh design and it, which is to not implode upon the uh, on the occupants of the vehicle as long as it did its job and that's what engineers do these days is is they they build these cars to actually absorb the impact and not transfer that onto the person and to maintain the space within inside the vehicle so really you know a, a, a layman will look at a car and see it's destroyed and go oh my gosh that car is terrible but a collision investigator will it will look on the inside and go okay it did its job and it protected the people within don't get me wrong our technology is awesome with airbags and, and the seat belts and the engineers and vehicle designs with the, with the new shock absorber bumpers and and everything that they have um we we actually you know have prevented a ton of lives with the with the new technology but unfortunately we still have people out there that are not um you know being by all the rules and and recommendations of staying safe before I get to some of the uh, ways driving schools have changed, it, it's funny that you were talking about this because I was just before you coming on, I was uh, reading this Dear Amy question that was in the Denver Post the other day, and it was talking about how this woman, this uh, signed anxious wife who has a husband who they've been married for over 30 years, and she says they hardly fight except when they're driving. Because she has a fear of riding in the car with him on especially a busy highway because he tends to go 10 to 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. And anytime she asked him to slow down a bit, then he pouts and goes 10 miles under. Um, so, and, she, and, and she was asking, ask Amy if she was being unreasonable to ask her, her husband to slow down because she would feel less anxious and feel more safe. I, I think there's a lot of passengers like that, that, that just ride clenched fist. Well, you know, and that's uh, one of the things we teach in 911 driving school is one of the days we talk about emotions and driving because a lot of us don't think about that. We, we, again, we treat our car like a tool. We treat it like a computer or, you know, to get from point A to point B, I need my car. I need my license. I, I, they don't think about the safety aspect or getting behind the wheel during an emotional situation. There was many a times as a police officer when I pulled people over or got to a crash scene. And, you know, um, somebody's there very emotional. So the first, your first thought is, are you okay? Are you hurt? You know, do you, do I need to get medical aid there? And, and then, you know, they're, you know, start, they're crying saying, no, it's just, I lost my job and I'm moving. And they're, t they're talking about huge life stressors. And, and then they feel that they're being punished because they got in a crash when really they got in a crash because they were not in an emotional state to be driving a vehicle. And a lot of people don't, we don't self-check. Uh, our emotions before we get in the car. Unfortunately, we just get in the car and drive. I can't tell you how many times I've been to fatality collisions. And you're there for hours investigating the scene. Um, and family members show up in cars, and then they, you know, and then they leave driving away in car. And you're just thinking. They should not be in a car. One of their family members right. just died in a car. And, and that's my point is people don't think about it. We just 
think about a car as getting from point A to point B, and we just don't uh, think of, until it happens, until it happens to somebody close to you, your family or friends, you know, a death in a vehicle. Um, it, it does, it's just, we read about it and, you know, or see it on the news that, uh, you know, that there was a fatality crash. Oh, that's, that's terrible, but we don't really go beyond that with it. And that's what, you know, the, the, the National Teen Driver Safety Week, it, you know, for us, it, it's National Teen Driver Safety Week 52 weeks out of the year. It's you it, know we we really treat it like that for the driving schools, but but this is a week for us to make sure that the parents and schools and 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 people like us are talking about it to get the awareness out there. And it's in its thirteenth year, um, you know, the, this National Teen Driver Safety Week. So, you know, it's still not it, it's only thirteen years old, but it's something that that's important that we uh, you know especially for our teenagers because. They represent, um, you know, the highest level of fatalities. Still, the number one killer of teenagers is car crashes. And you know, this guy who is probably in his sixties, because th- th- she said they've been married for over thirty years. I-, I really don't think he's thinking as a what he thinks is a seasoned driver that he's that 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 he has. He's probably thinking he's, he has fifty years of experience, driving experience, that he knows what he's doing, and that his wife just needs to sit there and and be quiet. But even even if you have fifty years of driving experience, it's really yeah, everything. Fa- everything happens so fast, and and I don't it think does. people realize how quickly anything can change. Well, and and the fact with it is, is a lot of things have changed in drivers' education and in in. in in 30 years and 40 years and especially in 50 years uh, you know a lot of us were taught uh that following distance is one car length for every 10 miles an hour i can mathematically dispute that in fact when our parents on the on parent night are there for the first night on driver's ed uh, you know, that's the one thing I say, how many, I ask the kids, how many of you have heard following distance, one car length for 10 miles an hour and several of them raise their hands. I'm like, erase that from your memory. I can just, I can mathematically dispute that. Uh, we do everything by seconds in the driving school, have a four second following distance because seconds are relative to speed. So it, 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 I'll get a parent that'll sidebar and go, well, I've been driving for 40 years and, and I've never been in a crash. Well, that's great. That's odd. That's great news, but that still doesn't mean that it's right to use the, the old technique of a 10 mile an hour, uh, you know, one car length for every 10 miles an hour. I mean, that's 120 feet. If the car is 20 feet long and you're at 60 miles an hour, they're saying, okay, six car lengths. And if the car is really 20 feet long, which most of them are smaller than that now, that's 120 feet. It takes the average car 140 feet to stop uh, from 60 miles an hour to zero. And then you're not even adding in reaction time. The average person takes about three quarters of a second, if paying attention, to react to a situation in front of them. Well, at 60 miles an hour, three quarters of a second, you'll travel 66 feet. Because I said 88 feet is, is 60 miles an hour. So 66 feet plus the 140 feet that it takes the car to stop, that's 206 feet. But we were being taught to only be 120 feet behind the car in front of you at one car length per, you know, 10 miles an hour. So again, like I said, a lot of things have changed in driver's education. So uh, it, it would benefit. And that's why in our in our program, we we tell the students, hey, go, go teach your parents, you know, the new things from driver's ed, help them, you know, see what we're using because it's a partnership it really is a lot of uh, that's another mistake that parents make is they send their teens to driver's ed and go okay you go learn and they think it's a you know just a two-way street between the driver's education program and the teen and it's not it's a it's a it's a partnership between the parent the teen and the driving instructor it has to be for it to be successful 
I'm speaking with Jeff Westover. He's a former police officer. He's a driver's education instructor, owner of several 911 driving schools up in Washington State. And those schools are all over the country and several different states. Those are the same things that I learned when I was in high school in the mid-80s and learned those exact same things. And and like you said, I, I do think parents are probably your worst, um, uh, they're not your nightmare, if that's not the right word, but I, no. I think parents are probably uh, the toughest thing for you guys to deal Absolutely. with because moms and dads are saying, this is the way I do it. No matter what you're going to get taught in that school, this is the way we're going to do it in this house. Absolutely. And and just setting an example. I mean, if a parent is texting and driving with their kid in the car and go, well, I can do it, but you, you know, you can't. That's that's not the you know, that's right, not setting yeah. an example. That's that's just not uh, all they're doing is setting up their their child to uh, to go out and tell. And I see it many times a day, all day long. Uh, you know, because I'm out in driving school cars or driving between schools, and I see it constantly uh, where, where parents have kids in the car. And I'm talking young kids because they see. Yeah, and and don't think that kids in the car aren't learning from from that. In fact, that's one of the things that I talk about in the in the driving school class. So you don't have to physically be dri- driving the car to practice. Uh, I've had a student who never drove a car before in her life, 15 and a half years old. Uh, she's never driven a car. She's been through at least two weeks of classroom, so she knows the terminology. She's been taught in the classroom how to properly steer a vehicle. And I had her on a drive one, which I drive her to the parking lot. We just start off in a parking lot, and I'm showing her everything I'm going to have her do. And then I have her get behind the wheel, and she, and again, she's never driven a car. And so every single turn she did, she grabbed the inside of the wheel. You know what I'm talking about? Where she grabs up the inside with her palm facing upwards. And every single turn she did, she did that. And she couldn't stop doing it. And I started thinking, wait a minute, she's never driven a car. So she couldn't have made this a habit. And then I realized, I said, does your, you know, we we were talking about it. She couldn't stop doing it. And I said, does your mom do that? She goes, yeah. So for 15 years, she's been watching her mom grab the steering wheel like that. And she has made that a habit. So that tells me that that you don't have to physically do something for it to become a habit. So that's why we really encourage, I tell students, if your parents aren't letting you drive, sit up front, put the phone down and pay attention, act like you're really driving. Think, okay, this is an unprotected left turn, so I would have to yield to these oncoming cars. Oh, we're doing a lane change, so I have to do smog signal mirrors over my shoulder, go. We tell them just really pay attention because you can train your brain whether you're physically doing something or not to to actually um, learn that task. It's funny you say that because just yesterday, my nine-year-old was in the car with me and I have this bad habit. Well, it's not bad, but I, I just hold the uh, gear shift. So the, the gear shift lever is, it's an automatic car, is to, is right there in the console. So it's to my right. Um, so it's not one, a lever like that's on the, uh, that's on the uh, steering wheel column. And so I just tend to rest my hand on there. I, I used to drive a stick forever ago and maybe that's where it came from. But my mm-hmm. daughter asked me, why do you hold on to that so? much. Why do you always hold on to that? I, I, I told her maybe it's just habit, but there's really no reason for me to do that. But no. but she is learning from watching me do something stupid like that of how to drive. Absolutely. And that's my point is that they're watching what we do. And, and, and you're right. The parents, it's, it really does start with the parents. I mean, of course, you know, they want to just say, nope, I'm paying you, you, you train them. Uh, they've been getting trained way before they, they sent them to us by watching the parent in the car and how they drive. And, and attitude is a, is a big thing, just like we were talking about emotions and attitude. As a retired officer, you now as an instructor, 
I think you could provide some real unique real life perspective to these students and not just on actually driving, but what to do when you encounter a a police officer. Obviously, we've heard a lot about this over the last several months. Do you teach kids what to do if they are pulled over? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's at the end of day 11 in our, in our curriculum. And, and we talk about what to do when getting pulled over, um, you know, and, and, and th- we do go over all aspects of it, of, you know, is, is it nighttime and, and is, is it an unmarked vehicle, you know, everything. But, but the main thing is, is to just, uh, you know, pull over to the right, keep your hands up on the steering wheel, be polite. And just, um, you know, if the officer asks for identification, then get the identification. When he asks for something, when they ask for something, then, then just do that and just be polite. And, uh, you know, that, that's the main thing with, with, um, with traffic stops is, is a lot of people, they get very, very nervous. And, and we understand that. When I used to train, you know, um, new officers and, and when I became a supervisor, I'd tell my guys, hey, I know to us you've done thousands and thousands of traffic stops and they become very routine, but you got to remember, think how they feel Please treat that person like like you would want one of your family members to be treated if they got pulled over and 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 treat it like that because they see the lights and and they you know I've had people go why are you treating me like a criminal and it's like okay I, I'm not you're all you did was a traffic infraction that's a that's a civil infraction and it doesn't mean I'm even going to write you a ticket it could be a verbal warning you know so but I you know we we understand you know that people get very nervous and and uh, because they see the light it's just I've even had growing men in their fifties and business suits shaking and trembling, unable to even barely talk because they're so nervous getting pulled over. Uh, and that's just a natural reaction. But the, the best thing to do is pull over to the right and just just be courteous and, and, and you should have no problems. Is that one reason why officers first, when they approach the, the window and, and, and ask you where you're going or where you're coming from? Um, well, not, not necessarily. Not every officer does that. I would always approach and identify who I was. Uh, I, I, you know, Officer Westover, and, and the police department you work for, and, and the reason I pulled, you know, I, I, I would actually ask for their license, registration, proof of insurance, and then tell them the reason I pulled them over. Um, there's a reason for that because it's sometimes if you tell them the reason you pull them over, now you're in an argument before you even have their identification. So there's certain reasons and, and procedures why things are done uh, a certain way. Uh, and, you know, most of the time, majority of the time, uh, those are, there's, they're uneventful experiences. Uh, you know, I, obviously somebody gets a ticket that's eventful for them, but they have to remember it's a civil infraction. It does not mean they're a criminal. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. Uh, we all make mistakes and, and, you know, there's different levels uh, for traffic enforcement for a police officer. Could be enforcement. Enforcement means you're writing a ticket. It could be a, a written warning. It could be a verbal warning. That's ed- education. That's just, you know, educating somebody about uh, you pull somebody over and go, you know, by the way, this is why I pulled you over. And oh, I didn't know that. Well, yes, this is the law. Or they had a brake light out. Hey, just to let you know, you you know, you have a brake light out that uh, you, you have to get that fixed. Just make sure you do that. Or you could write a correction, what we call a fix it ticket or a correction notice. Uh, I'm, you know, this is a correction notice. We just want you to get it fixed, get it fixed within the next 15 days. And then this just goes away. You know, so there's there's all different forms of of ways to to uh, to to do traffic. And and that's, again, through education and enforcement. And I think there's also a lot of different ways people learn. Like one of my girls, she's she's a hardhead. She learns by doing. I I can tell her the stove is hot, but she needs to put her hand up to it to feel (laughs) that it's hot. How do you get through to a student 
who who is that who, who is like that who is an experienced well, learner it's funny that well i kind of want to back up on that because because when you say that you know um I mean, you don't about, obviously don't want him to plow into a wall and say this is what well, it feels like to be in a crash exactly. well my whole my whole point with this is that that are the kids that we're allowing and i call them kids the kids that we're allowing to drive this is their first push towards adulthood i mean they can't even vote they can't own a car they can't own a house they can't join the military they just can't get on a plane and leave the country there's all these they can't they can't they can't but we're going to hand them the keys to a three or four or five thousand pound car and let them drive down the road I mean, that's how backwards we kind of are in our society. I, I, you know, as far as think about it, insurance companies, you cannot rent a car until you're 25 years old because yeah. insurance companies won't allow it. I, I remember my wife and I, when we got married, we were 21 and 22 years old and we went on vacation, our honeymoon, and we couldn't rent a car because we weren't 25 because the insurance companies know that, that you know, between the ages of 16 and 24, it's the most, that's the most deadliest thing for somebody between the ages of 16 and 24 is a vehicle, you know, and the chances of a crash are extreme. So, you know, when we talk about brain development, brain, brains aren't fully developed till they're 25 years old. And, and when we get to that 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old state, um, it's almost like that two- or three-year-old where you got to touch the stove to go, okay, that's hot, and get burned um, learning because they think they're invincible. It will never happen to me. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this. but you know, it, it, So how do you get through the, to those people, though? How do you get through well, those kids? We, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, places, or I should say, even agencies, uh, other. You know, AAA, for example, I went to a conference where a AAA spokesman was saying you can't use scare tactics; it doesn't work. Uh, they, you know, th- these kids see see so much on movies and and their their games that they play. They're desensitized. Uh, funny thing was the 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 day after that conference, I was actually walking into a Safeway with my 911 shirt on, and the, the assistant manager, he was probably in his 30s, saw my shirt, and he goes, oh, driving school, oh, man, the only thing I remember for, from driving school is Red Asphalt. Do they still show that? And Red Asphalt was a, was a, there's several series of Red Asphalt. It started, I believe, in the 50s, and then the last one was produced in the 90s. I think they're up to as- Red Asphalt 4 or 5, um, and they're very graphic. It, it shows, you know, it's, it shows uh, fatalities and, and people dead, uh, you know, from car crashes. Uh, very shocking, very real, and uh, I just thought, wow, here's a guy who just said the only thing he remembers from driver's education was red asphalt, but they're saying that you can't use scare tactics. But when they listen to officers, uh, those of us that have the stories about fatalities and actual, you know, when we're on a topic and, and we sit there and say, well, you know, in this situation, uh, I had this happen. And I, you know, when they, they, there was one where there was a, in fact, he ended up being my neighbor, my neighbor's son, a 22 year old, uh, son of my neighbor who got in a crash and was trapped in the car. I had no idea it was my neighbor's son until a year and a half after the crash when he was talking about a crash. But anyway, when I talk about that and, and how it happened and what happened and, and you know, uh, that he almost lost his life and we had to roll the car over to get him, you know, out of the car because he was, he was basically suffocating. His whole body was on top of his head and we had to roll the car over and then pull him out, you know, get him out, but uh, to open up his airway. But 
um, when they hear that, and they, it's like, I didn't read this story. I didn't tell you about this. This was me living this, and this is exactly what happened. And this is all because he was driving in somebody's blind spot, and they made a lane change, and he jerked the wheel and went through a guardrail and went off of a, a, a bridge and landed upside down below. You know, that, that, and I was there. You know, so that, that when, when they hear that, that, and I hear that over and over from parents, Oh, geez, you know, they told us some that they love hearing the stories. They're just, I, in fact, we we just had a parent email us about his experience. He said his son has uh, learning disabilities. He, he didn't think there's no way his son would be able to stay engaged for two hours uh, for the Zoom class. And he goes, I can't believe it. He is so, he's so engaged he's so excited about this and he is just glued to the computer and and thank you for doing what you guys are doing and your instructor is awesome and the stories he tells and and that's just you know it that just solidifies it right there uh that that you know we're doing a good thing and and we're getting our point across i'm speaking with jeff westover he's a driver's education instructor former police officer owner of several 911 driving schools there in washington state i had an instructor tell me a, a couple things i remember when i went through driver's ed because i had it in high school and i just took another one uh for insurance reasons when i was a kid and the ones that i still remember to this day one of the instructors said that he didn't care how fast i was going as long as i was doing it safely and the other thing i remember from him is that if I do have to slam on the brakes for any reason, always check the rear view mirror to see if someone's about to slam into the back of me and be ready for it. Well, I agree with the second part. I don't agree with the first part. <laughs> the, I don't care how fast you go, but uh, you, we call it uh, foot to brake, eyes to mirror. And, and that needs to become a habit. I mean, there's so many different things that need to become a habit. Four second following distance, scanning up the road 15 seconds, or as far as you can see, checking your mirrors every five to seven seconds. If you're doing those three things, uh, and then obviously other habits, like I just said, foot to brake, eyes to mirror. Uh, then you're going to be fairly safe. I mean, those are just three quick little things, but uh, um, but he's right on on checking your mirror. I mean, the rear end collisions happen for many reasons, and you know it's because people don't have space. Number one, uh, but if we all had our four second falling distance, we wouldn't have those two and three and four car crashes because the rear end collisions they don't have to happen. I had another instructor who said she would rarely drive next to a semi-truck that's on the highway there because she was so concerned that one of the tires on the trailer would blow out and she would always look at the tire tread and, and try to estimate when it's going to blow out because she was worried about having a blow. And I've seen it happen. I've been behind a truck when that's happened. So it is pretty scary, but it, it's, I, I, I've been driving for a long time and it's happened, I think twice in my life. Is that something you teach your students how to deal with? Well, we, we basically teach them not to drive next to any car on a multi-lane road. Yes, you're going to have to pass a car. You're going to be passed by a car, but you should never be – like, I'm just talking a five-lane city street. Never drive next to another car. When we drive, we always think uh, – we, we, we think about – we think singular, just our lane alone. Okay, I've got plenty of following space, but they'll drive right next to another car, and all of us have seen – other drivers, you know, especially now with cell phones and distracted driving, how they swerve into your lane. Why would you want to be next to another car? Now, it's funny you mentioned that with the semi-truck. I was on a drive with a student on a freeway. I had one in the back seat and one and a female student driving. We were on a freeway and there was a semi-truck ahead of us and it was in the left lane. We were in the right lane and it we were not next to it. It was ahead of us and its tire blew and it was like a bomb going off. In fact, right. the tire came, came off into our lane 
I immediately, as it blew, was just reaching for the steering wheel, which I luckily got a hold of because she started to crank it to the right. And we're doing 60 miles an hour approaching an, an overpass, which has the cement, you know, girders down below. And she was going to crank the wheel and I was actually forcing her back to the left. But what, but the tire was in our lane. So I just, gen just gently and smoothly drove us to the shoulder and back to the thing, fighting her the whole time because she wanted to crank it to the right. And then got us back, and the, the kid in back goes, wow, that was really smooth. And the girl was still going, what was that? What was She still had no idea what had happened. I said, the truck tire blew up, and it came into our lane, but we're safe, but you can't jerk the wheel. Everything has to be smooth. And that's another, uh, you know, attribute for us as police officers is that we we're highly trained and, and skilled in, 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 in high-speed driving. Not that that's something that we're going to teach the kids, but um, in, in, in high-speed driving, we call it EVOC, Emergency Vehicle Operation Course. Everything is smooth. Fat, you know, smooth is fast. We don't jerk the wheel. We don't, you know, everything, even at, especially at high speed, everything has to be smooth. You don't slam on the brake. You know, I mean, obviously, if you have ABS that works properly and you need to go into emergency braking, but um, you don't crank the wheel. Everything is smooth. And, and, and when you do things quickly at high speed, that's usually when bad things happen. Well, that's why I tell my kids whenever uh, we see an animal on, on the roadway, I say, because we live in the area where there's some elk and yep. deer and, and other animals that might jump in the roadway. I said, I'd, I'd rather fix the car than have to fix you. Absolutely. And, and I've seen people unfortunately swerve their car into other cars because there was a cat or there was a raccoon or another animal on the road. And that's a natural instinct, obviously, to not hurt something. But uh, it's very difficult to train yourself to say, yeah. to say okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, sacrifice hitting this animal and, you know, and not sacrifice potentially, you know, losing our lives or hurting other people. All right, so I have uh, three quick ones before uh, I let you go. So these these are some uh, issues that I've I've covered in my driving you crazy series of stories over the last uh, several months. A uh, uh, left turn, you're up at a left turn, and you have a signalized intersection there. Do you pull halfway out into the intersection, or do you wait back at the uh, cross line? No, you wait back at the cross line, and this is a big topic because all of us back. You know, I was also like you taught in, uh, in the early 80s of, of driver's education. We were told, go out in the middle. But you got to remember back then we didn't have our complex intersections. You know, we, 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 a lot of the intersections were, un, we call those unprotected left turns uh, because you, you shouldn't be doing that with, a, with a, um, a, a red arrow. Now, of course, we're putting up yellow flashing arrows, which is the same as an unprotected left turn. But I'm sure you've seen the red light cameras. I know Denver has red light cameras and, right. and, and you've seen the crashes because these red light cameras record the crashes in intersections. Why would you want to be out there? Because we've seen crashes happen a minute after after the light was red and and it's out in the middle of the intersection so we actually teach how you could do that quicker and safer and within the law by staying behind the line and what you do is you keep your wheels pointed straight behind the stop line and when you are 100 sure that you have a gap in traffic hopefully about a three to four second gap in traffic when that last car approaches the intersection coming towards you that's when you start driving forward because by the time you get out to, to the point where you need to turn left, that car is going to be past you. So you get it done about three times faster than if you were sitting in a stop position out in the middle of the intersection because you will physically have to wait for that car to pass you before you can let off the brake and start to go. So not only are you doing it 
much faster. You're doing it safer because you're not out in that intersection waiting and you're within the law. In, in, in Colorado, I haven't looked that law, but I know in Washington state, we have a law that says you're not allowed to enter an intersection railroad or crosswalk unless you can um, pass all the way through those three things. Yeah, Even no, I covered though, that where you don't, you, that, that there is no specific law covering that. It's just, you're not allowed to uh, block. block the, in his, right. Yes. That, yeah. That's and basically that's, it. Yes, and that's what we have here. And that, and technically, you could say that's blocking an intersection if you're out there. Stop. So uh, we don't. Yeah, we, we. That's another big change from what you know was taught many years ago to what we teach now. And it's hard because the parents still do it, and they want their 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 students to do it. And I had a student come back and said, "Okay, my mom agreed to do this, but then we set out a light for three cycles of the light. People were honking and yelling at us, and I said, "Okay, I want you to think outside the box." I want you to think a block before that one. Could you have turned left, then turned right, then turned left and be on the same road you wanted to turn on? And she's like, yeah. Could you have just gone straight through that intersection, then turned left, then made another left and made a right and you'd be on the same road you wanted to get to? Yes. Okay. Don't go through that intersection. It's dangerous. Avoid it. So that's another thing. We get into our set ways and we don't think outside of the box where I shouldn't even be going through The city has not made that or county has not made that intersection a, a, a a dedicated protected left turn only so go to a different one that's much more safer but that's again and that people don't unfortunately they don't think like that they don't think about safety or they just think about i want to get to point a to point b and i and i contend also how you said that if you wait back and you're waiting for that car to pass as you start going and then make your left you're going to go faster i contend the same thing happens at a stoplight so if you're at a stoplight instead of getting right behind the driver in front of you if you are back maybe 20 feet 15 feet that you actually have a better reaction when you see that car going you can get going and you're actually up to speed faster than if you were right behind somebody waiting at that traffic light Jason, you're hitting on all the points that I talk about in class. In fact, we, you know, when you watch, it, it, it's funny. Everybody tries to see how close they can get to the car in front of them. And what we teach is, you know, it used to be so I can see the tires of the car in front of me touching the ground. Well, that worked back in the 80s, 70s, and 80s when we had big, huge cars with hoods. Now, these engineers are trying to minimize the void area. The void area is the area around your car that you cannot see because of the car itself. And they're trying to minimize that so that you can see more. Well, I if I don't know if you've been in a new Volkswagen bug, but you can't even see the hood. You, you just see out the windshield and you could get completely close enough to another car in front of you that, that if you were rear-ended, you're going to be pushed into it. If, if they're learning to drive a stick and they're on a hill, they're going to roll back into you. Uh, and and uh, if it becomes disabled, there's many reasons why you want to be back from a car. Uh, what we say is, I want, how I teach it is, I want you to stay far enough back from that car. Uh, I want to see that, how far back can I stay from it without another car fitting into the space? That's what you really should gauge it on. Now, if you're too far back and a car can fit in, they're going to take the space from you. So, And you can always move forward if you're too far back. But once you get too close, look in your rearview mirror. You're not going to be able to back up because the car behind is going to be right on your bumper. Yeah, and that car behind you, that driver, they go nuts when I do. When I, do. I mean, oh, yeah. just physically see the driver just yeah. going nuts about this. All yes. right, so let's say we're at a four-way stop. It's just one lane in every direction. But there's enough room there for somebody to double up and, let's say, make a right turn and this one uh, viewer that I have says what they used to do from wherever she uh, used to live that they would actually double up in that one lane and then two cars would go through the stop sign and then they'd figure it out on the other side I thought that was just crazy 
No, that is. And there's, in fact, at one of my locations, we have a four-way stop that's that's like that, where there's enough room to make a, a right turn. And now, if there's a shoulder marking, you shouldn't be driving over that shoulder marking. That's against the law if you're going over the, the white um, edge line to, to make the right turn. You're still supposed to stay within the, the guidelines of the yellow and white lines, uh, the roadway dividers. But if it's, I, I agree, if it's making the right turn, then that's fine. But two of them going straight through, no, that is not, uh, that's very unsafe because you can't predict what other people are going to do. Have you heard of a Pittsburgh left? I have not. Okay. A Pittsburgh left is common in Pittsburgh. And what happens is you're at a stoplight and there is a driver, let's say the driver ahead of me uh, is the, the oncoming driver, wants to make a left. I can see their turn signal on. And just as or just before the light turns green for me going, let's say, north and the and the turn driver going south and going to make a left turn, they actually turn right as the light changes. Oh, and yeah. they call that the Pittsburgh left. And most people in Pittsburgh know about this. And so they actually wait for a beat or two at the light when they see somebody trying to turn because so many people are doing this. Is it, is it, is, well, one, what do you think about that move? And also, how do you teach regional driving differences from different parts of the country? Well, uh, you know, what we teach, what, no matter what number you are through the, through the intersection, you need to scan it before you go through. And especially when you're the first one at a red light and the light turns green, before that car moves, you should be scanning the intersection to make sure somebody's not going to run the red light. We've had what you're talking about happen many times. I've had it happen with, on drives with students. And it's dangerous. And that just tells me, I mean, th that's a perfect example of what we were talking about at the beginning of this. Of it, Could you imagine if you weren't enforcing laws, how people, well, that sounds to me like it's not being enforced there. So therefore, it's happening so much that people are actually training themselves to be safe, which is not the right way to do it. Yeah, the it, police it, just let it go because everybody knows about the Pittsburgh left. Yeah, well, it's almost like the sounds like the California stop, right? You know, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and and where do we draw? You get on a slippery slope. You know, where do we draw the line? And 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 that's my point. I mean, as much as people hate traffic uh, enforcement, uh, it is a needed. It's a necessity uh, to keep our streets safe. And that's a prime example right there. That should not be happening. That is super dangerous. We can't predict what other people are going to do. And you, it would only take one person making a decision. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to go for it to get to the, the that's going straight while the other person, you know, is, is it, it, it could just be disastrous. What if some, oh, I'm sorry, from the other side direction, they're going to run the red light while that person goes, okay, I'm going to take off before the oncoming cars start going. And now you've got a crash. That's super dangerous. Yeah. These regional differences though, from different places around the country, it's, it, it's common that if you're in the South and you get a half an inch of snow, everybody freaks out, but up in yep. Montana, they're getting a half a foot right now. And so they're doing just fine. So I think people are, are with so many people moving around the country, a lot of people from Texas and California moving here to Colorado, they're just bringing their bad habits with them. And I think there are a lot of different drivers. Whenever I go to a different country, I've driven in Mexico, I've driven all through the Caribbean. And when you are in these different places, they all have their regional driving differences. And I think a lot of those folks, especially in a town like Manhattan, where you have so many people immigrating into that area, they're bringing their uh, traffic driving techniques with them, and, and you see just uh, really a change in how people are supposed to drive and in, in, in how they do drive.
Well, in that, it's funny you mentioned that. I've driven in Australia recently in January. I've driven in the Bahamas. I've driven in Mexico. Um, and <laughs> you're right. It, it, we, we think in the United States that we're the number one, we're the best at everything. But unfortunately, there's about uh, 17 countries ahead of us as far as statistics prove of, of safe driving. Uh, for example, Germany, Australia, UK. You can't go drive. When you have a permit, you don't drive with somebody. You know, I know in Colorado, you, you, if with a permit, you just have to have somebody in the car that's had a license for at least five years or 21 years of age. Well, that's crazy. That Would, would we let a, a head football coach of one of our high schools be 21 years old? I mean, it just wouldn't happen. It, you know, but it, people would think that'd be absurd, but yet we'll let somebody who's 21 teach somebody how to drive. That that just, it, it, in our country, that's pretty much how it is, where in Germany and Australia and UK, you can only drive with a driving instructor with a permit. And that's why it will cost, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars to go through driver's training. But uh, because they require you, if you have a permit, you can only ride with a driving instructor to be taught how to drive. And there's many countries like that that uh, take it a lot more serious. In, in fact, in Australia, your first year driving, you have to have a, a colored triangle on your car. And then the second year, it changes colors. And the third year, it changes colors. If you haven't had any problems in those three years, then you can take the sticker off your car. But it lets everybody around you know, hey, that's a first-year driver. That's a second-year driver. That's a third-year driver. So there's there's a lot of different um, uh, you know countries out there that, that have taken driving to another level much better than what we have. We just have pretty much stayed... Uh, in the same aspect as far as, okay, be, be 16 to get your license. Some states have moved to 17. Um, New Jersey, you have to be 17 to get your license. But we haven't really seen the numbers change that much. It's always the first year of driving that's the most uh, dangerous. Jeff Westover, you are the owner of several 911 driving schools for a retired police officer, driver education instructor. It's been a real fun, interesting, and uh, uh, really fascinating conversation, at least from my perspective. I hope it was for the listeners as well. Uh, do you have a website where people can get some more information if they're looking for a driving school? Oh, yes, 911drivingschool.com. Uh, it, it's www.911drivingschool.com and then uh, just pick the state and location and they can hook you up. Awesome. Thanks again for your time, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Drive safe. Boy, that was really awesome. <laughs> Thanks again, Jeff, uh, for firing, for uh, rolling with all those uh, odd questions that I had. Again, the website is 911drivingschool.com. And they are in a whole bunch of different states, uh, Washington, California, Colorado, Ohio, South Carolina, Florida. And so they are around the country. Uh, you can find them. And you can also get some more information if you need to on that website. What really stood out to me, uh, uh, there was a lot of things that stood out to me. But, but what jumped out at me right away was when Jeff said that he recommends to his students that you don't drive to next to another car, ever. Whether, whether it's a city street or whether it's a highway, that you don't drive next to somebody because you don't know what they're going to do. And, and you know what? That's that's a great piece of advice. I, I, I tend to always like to have an escape route where you can get out to the left or right if something's happening in front of you. I, I don't like to be boxed in. That, that's a weird feeling, especially if there are trucks involved because they are so uh, hard to pass if you're trying to go uh, you know, in front of them or behind them or whatever. And if things are happening that are bad, the trucks are going to need a much more, a much uh, farther distance uh, to stop than, than you would in a little passenger car. 
So I tend not to like to drive next to trucks just just driving. I, I will pass or have them pass me. But I tend, as a rule, just not to like to uh, drive next to them. But I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, that, that's a fascinating interview. I, I appreciate that uh, from Jeff, and we went a little over his, uh, his time, so I appreciate that very much. All right, so if you want to get a hold of the show, you can always contact uh, me at uh, drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks again for listening. I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.